0: Everyone, this is ETS on the grid. I am your host Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is my co-host Aaron Hardick. How are you doing today, Aaron?
1: I'm doing well today, Dylan. How are you?
0: Doing fantastic. And we've got a great guest on the show today. We have the CEO of Bandera Electric Cooperative in Central Texas, Bill Hetherington. How's it going, Bill?
2: Hey, living the dream here, Dylan. How are you doing?
0: i um, I'm living a uh, a smaller dream in the, in the cold north. Uh, before we dive in, can you tell our listeners a bit about your service territory and your history with your company?
2: Sure. Um, Bandera Electric Cooperative, uh, our headquarters is in Bandera. It's located about 45 miles northwest of San Antonio, Texas. It was incorporated in 1938. So today we serve more than 37,000 electric customers, more than 4,000 internet customers and we have about 250 uh what I'll call distributed generation or solar customers uh across a seven county area about uh 3000 square miles and uh we maintain about 4500 miles of power lines and about 700 miles of fiber um i joined uh in 2013 and uh uh it's been a good ride i think um, As as far as how I got here, um, it's been kind of an interesting path. Um, I grew up in Indiana, uh, and uh, I had, uh, we had a farm in northern Indiana. And I remember the days when my grandfather would talk about uh, life on the farm before electricity. Uh, They actually used oil lamps uh, for, for light at night to read. Uh, until my grandmother got sick, and so they stopped doing that, but uh, then they would go out and get a generator, and they actually referred to the the generator as the flameless light, which was I thought was interesting. so I had an early exposure to the farm movement, i guess um, I was always impressed that farmers basically were risk takers and they always were very innovative, they had to make things work with very little uh support, very independent um, and so you know I was kind of drawn to that kind of uh, Environment, uh, so even then I had an early exposure to the, the rural areas. Um, so as I kind of grew up, of course my my, my background's in engineering and went to work for in, uh, investor-owned utilities, and that wasn't very jo- satisfying from a job standpoint. <clears throat> um, I was working for a co-op down in Florida uh, in '92 when Hurricane Andrew came through. And uh, that really gave me, was eye-opening because I I saw firsthand the devastation that uh, a natural disaster creates, uh, not only uh, to infrastructure and to buildings and houses, but really to people's lives. Um, You know, people really have to start their lives over again. And, you know, so every time I see, you know, somebody that's gone through a natural disaster, you know. I, I really empathize because it is a, it is something that's it's hard to describe. And prior to me coming to Bandera, um, I worked with the Portuguese, uh, an international renewable energy company um, that took me to places where they spoke Portuguese, like Mozambique and Brazil. And again, what struck me is just the disparity of those who have and those who have not. Uh, if you do not have running water or electricity, uh, and more than a billion people on the sub-Saharan African continent still do not have access to electricity, uh, you have really a very, very low prospect for a good, uh, good life. And and so that's really kind of what has, uh, you know, what that has basically been the the experiences that I've had in my life that have kind of helped me mold my vision here at Bandera Electric Color.
1: Bill, you just mentioned something that is pretty much the premise of our conversation today, and that is innovation. You mentioned how early on you got this exposure to the farming uh, community industry, and you realized how innovative they are. Um, and I would imagine that you serve a lot of, of farmers. A lot of your members are farmers. Um, and that's one of the interesting things about co-ops that makes them different from munis and IOUs is that they're, they're member-owned. So they're really driven by, you know, what, what those members want to do. Um, but typically co-ops, you know, serve smaller populations in rural areas and can often be overlooked as thought leaders, as innovators. Can you talk about how you guys at Bandera Electric are kind of pushing the boundary with innovation um, in in your area?
2: Sure. I I think I I would agree with you. I think there is a, a generalized misconception that if you're an electric cooperative, you're not innovative since you're serving a rural area. In fact, you know, when I went to business school, you know, they never even mentioned a cooperative business model. Uh, and likewise, it, they never emphasized the importance of sustainable economic growth for rural areas. Uh, it was really all about profitability and not sustainability. Um, but, you know, as I as I shared with you, with my experiences, when I arrived here at Bandera, it was my intent uh, really to change the perception um, and to create what I will call the, a vision of, Reimagining rural america um and and that that vision is realized through um, basically focusing on members' needs and and raising awareness of the electric cooperative business model uh and 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 basically achieving what I will call products and services and quality of services that you know uh, as I describe are faster better cheaper uh. and and meeting their expectations. Uh, To do that uh, requires innovation. You have to be creative. You have to also have a very, uh, very surgical and and specific understanding of those customer needs to do that. Um, In 2014, you know, we surveyed our members uh, as far as what their needs were. And this is, I think, probably the biggest thing that I tell, I share with others is, is, you know, don't don't be afraid to ask your members what they want. Um, you know, there's a tendency for, especially in the electric utility industry, is that, well, we know we know best what they need and this is what they need. And uh, most members that we find uh, are very, you know, very quick to tell you about what they need. And to, at the time we were selling uh, water heaters and surge protectors and disconnect switches and, and that's not what they wanted. What they wanted was high-speed internet, they wanted renewable energy alternatives uh and they wanted to basically have some independence. They wanted to feel like they were in control like you know it gets back to that that farm ranch community that's like you know i i- I'll take control of it you You don't need to give me everything, just give me what I need uh and so that's helped us, i think develop that innovative model uh and it's it's really working for us.
1: So our podcast last week we actually spoke with a gentleman um in New York named Josh Gould and he was just talking about some of Con Edison's um approaches to innovation but I mean that's significantly different right they're serving they're serving the city of New York highly populated um and just kind of talking about where innovation comes from within their organization but it sounds like for you guys at at Bandera innovation really is member driven and you just mentioned you know you surveyed them to really figure out what your members want so that you can provide them those services but can you talk a little bit more about you know how you how exactly you go from you know listening to your customers to actually providing them those programs you know I think a lot of the times especially like you just mentioned the electricity industry has um, looked at customers as big groups as rate payers, and they're starting to ha- to have to you know listen more specifically to what they want, and then in return deliver on that. But you've had some experience in that area. Can you just can you talk about that?
2: Sure. I think it gets back to again reimagining rural America. If you think about rural America today, uh, at least in our area, uh, it's it's no longer. Uh, primarily just farmers and ranchers and people, uh, poor folk, okay, let's just call it what it is. I mean, I, I think the perception is rural areas, the people are undereducated, uh, their expectations are not as great as, as educated people who live in cities. And I think that's a fallacy and I think that's a, a an oversight. I think that our innovation and what we're doing is really driven I'll go back to that, the, is focusing on the member expectations, and our members want the same um, innovation and technology that you have in urban areas. They want it faster, cheaper, better, and the only way you get it faster, cheaper, better is to innovate. The real question is, yeah, how do you, how do you innovate in rural areas, and how do, you, how do you match those customer expectations? You do that by finding qualified people who share that vision. And you know the, the the same experience that I had in a job where I wasn't satisfied. You have to find people who are motivated, who are qualified, but most importantly, who are energized by the vision of reimagining rural America. Um, once you have that, uh, you can innovate. And and we have been innovative. Uh, we now have, like I said, in two years, we now have four thousand internet customers. We have a backlog a backlog uh, of of another six thousand. Uh, we get calls from other all across the country about how did you do that? What, how can we do that? So, you know, the, what we're doing, I feel, is is pretty uh, important. Um, not only is it high-speed Internet, but, you know, again, we live in a pretty conservative part of Texas, I would say. So, and so, as I tell my co-op folks here, do is is don't, don't assume that just because most of the folks are conservative that they're not interested in renewable energy. They are. And, and so that has been uh, something that we have really focused on. Um, you know, the solar and storage that we have deployed has saved our customers over $200,000, all of our members. So this is not something that is, you know, just the rich who can afford solar save money. It, it saves all of our members. And and that's what I think I struggle with because uh, members and most utilities fail to see that. Most utilities want to blame uh, distributed solar for problems when, in fact, most distributed solar is actually, you know, if, if done correctly, can actually assist uh, in reducing cost, uh, reducing system losses, uh, and providing a much more efficient electric grid. Uh, so, and I think the success of this innovation is is can be be looked at in, in our growth. Uh, over the last uh, three years, uh, You know we've added about 30% to our asset, corporate assets, uh, and we've grown our employee base by 50%. Uh, these are good paying jobs, and they're good paying jobs in a rural community. Uh, so I, I guess that's kind of the benchmark of how I, I measure successful innovation.
0: Speaking of innovation, uh, we just wrapped up our Solar Storage Fest a month ago. Uh, and that focused on innovation around the solar and storage technologies that you're uh, helping your members out with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you, were, you were there talking about some of that stuff. Uh, your co-op is doing some innovative things on the distribution grid. What can you tell us about? Uh, what can you tell us about how you're utilizing these technologies for your members?
2: Sure. Um, I think that the important thing to recognize is that, you know, data and communications are vital to the operation of any electric system. Uh, you know, whether you're a big electric system or a small electric system, you know, information is critical. Getting information about what's going on in your system is critical. Um, in today's world, uh, that is best utilized with a fiber, not, fiber optic network. Um, and the beautiful part about utilizing fiber optic is data is data. Uh, you can use that for uh, high-speed internet. You can use that to automate your distribution systems like voltage regulators and capacitor banks and, and even read meters over it. Uh, and so, you know, those are, those are some of the things that we are actually deploying and doing on our system. Uh, uh, we found just already so far, last year we saved – about you know sixty thousand dollars in overtime labor because on a couple of the circuits we had automated, we didn't have to dispatch line crews. So again, just an example of how these technologies not only benefit an efficient electric system, but also can provide products and services that improve the quality of life. Of your membership, that being high, access to high-speed internet. I I think that the reason you know you see such a you know such a a discussion going on at a national level about, you know, rural broadband and expanding that is is exactly that. What people realize is that, you know, where in the early 1900s, everything was based on the industrial age and you needed to have brick and mortar and you needed to have electricity and to build an economy. In today's climate, in today's world, you need high-speed internet. Um, I think that, you know, we have people that you know, if the power goes out, oh, well, as long as the internet still operates. <laughs> I mean, if that's not, uh, a, you know, a good example of how our society is changing. You know, I have, I have people come to me in our service territory, and they want to have high-speed internet. And I said, so, okay, so why do you want it? And these are older folks, and, and they're saying, well, because our grandkids won't come here uh, to visit us unless we have access to the internet. This is the reality of our society today and you know so what we have been innovative about here at bandera i believe is integrating and marrying the technologies of of broadband and fiber to allow us to operate and control uh, a a distributed generation grid uh, to operate and control an electric grid as well as provide our members high-speed internet and i think you know if you were to if you were to look at it as you know the old phrase about offering the triple play, I don't know if you remember like cable TV, they'd always call it, you know, telephone cable and, and internet. We our triple play is solar is power, solar, and fiber. And and so we believe that's the, the triple play of the future and that can be the triple play that will help um, rural America. And I think that 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 message is gaining is spreading and it's gaining popularity. You know, later next month, we're going to have uh, a delegation of 27 folks from Brazil come up and visit us here in Bandera to learn about it and how we're doing it.
0: Many of the ideas you've talked about so far, you've referred to your community a lot. And I know utilities to often talk about wanting to be community leaders, but there are a lot who fall short uh, of that of that ambition. And, you know, their interactions with the community will be largely either just charity events or media campaigns. Your community is obviously important to you and to your business. So what do you believe your company's role is, is as a part of your community? I,
2: I, think, I think electric cooperatives, uh, and, and specifically I think Bandera Electric Cooperative, I think that we are a, a critical piece of, of ensuring um, the, the survivability of rural communities. I think that electric cooperatives, uh, first off, we are community uh, engaged. You know, uh, we employ our friends and neighbors. uh, We serve our friends and neighbors. And, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're, you know, I guess they are important. Uh, They're important to the community. And I think that the electric cooperative plays a key role in that aspect. Um, You know, and it's not sometimes just about electric or providing services like broadband. I recently read a, a story of, uh, on healthcare. It was done by Sigma, which is one of the large health insurance companies. And they, they basically said that um, more than 50% of p- people today feel isolated. And it, that's even a worse problem in rural areas. And not only is that a bad issue, it has is been recognized that isolation causes health problems. Uh, to the point where, and I think the doctor even quoted it, it's reaching almost an epidemic level, almost as bad as tobacco, that isolation can have as, has, can have as serious health implications as smoking. Now, if you think about that, that's a pretty significant risk. Uh, I think cooperatives in play can be community leaders by helping also connect people so they don't feel isolated. Again, connecting not only physically with electricity, not only connecting physically with high-speed internet, but connecting is you're a friend, you're a neighbor, how are you feeling today? Providing them access uh, over these networks to high-speed, to telemedicine so that they have access to quality healthcare, which is also something that is rural America struggles with. So I believe, to answer your question, really, the community, electric cooperatives are the leaders, I think, in most of these communities. You know, there's an old saying that it's hard to sell electricity to people who aren't there. Um, and and that, that is the worry that if we don't, as, as an industry, as, as, an, as rural cooperatives, take on that, that, that role of ensuring that our communities have sustainable econ- economies, we won't be here long. And so that's why it's such an important issue for cooperatives to be involved in the community.
1: I I think a few things for what you just said, Bill. Um, First of all, just the fact that you've, um, you know, considered to look at something such as a healthcare study um, to understand your members better is, is definitely innovative in and of itself. And then you were talking about that, what is, to me, an absolutely ridiculous statistic around isolation. I had I had no idea I, I, it did have some physical effect on a human, but I didn't know it was to that extent. And providing them with broadband services allows them access to telehealth, like you mentioned. But then going back to something that you also mentioned earlier, you know, your members want that internet access so that their their family will come visit them, so that their grand their grandchildren yeah. can come and watch TV and play video games. And so that I think that also, you know, that that goes to show how you're, you're having an impact in that way. So, you know, uh, providing them broadband, yes, gives them access to better services, but it also does, you know, eliminate that isolation because they can call their family and say, come visit and have an enjoyable time. Um, So right. I just think that's a very fascinating way to look at it.
2: Right. And one other, you know, one other caveat to that is, you know, when I got here was, uh you know, probably a couple of years ago, I probably three year years ago, you know, I'm driving down Main Street Bandera and they have to understand about Main Main Street Bandera, we have I think two stoplights, maybe three. Um and, you know, I'm driving by the library and here's all these kids standing outside the library. And it's you know it's like five o'clock, you know, going home from work. And so, you know, I asked, you know, one of my employees, one of my colleagues here at work, I said, you know, what was that all about? And they said, Oh well you know, they don't have access to the internet at home. And so if, if they wanna do their homework, they've got to go to the, the library and, and hopefully get their homework done by six o'clock because of course that's when the library closes. And you know, the, to me that was appalling. I mean I mean these are our this is our future, right? Our kids are growing up and they're gonna have to compete with kids in New York City. They're in competes with people in Harvard, with people in China, and they and they can't get access to the internet. Um I and again as much as healthcare is an issue, education is also an issue. That's why we provided a, a free Wi Fi throughout the city of Bandera. It's so that, you know, our, our kids who don't have internet at home can get on a Wi Fi network and they can do their homework so that they can compete. And and, and we can have uh you know a sustainable future. So, you know, they you know, almost in every aspect, you know, it's, it's still, it still still strikes me. I don't think people realize the lack of access to internet and how much right now ed- our education system depends on you have to have internet access uh we had one student i mean i got this really nice letter uh you know they'd been accepted to harvard their child which was pretty 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 amazing and but they needed to fill out a whole bunch of um pre application stuff and to do that they needed a high speed internet connection and they didn't have one <laughs> so you know again they were very thankful that that we were able to provide them access to a network so that it allowed their child to to go to harvard and that that makes me feel good you know when you get those kinds of letters it means you're doing something right and you know i guess at the end of the day that's what that you know that's what makes me sleep well at night
1: i had a very similar experience so i was spending some time this summer uh in a small uh, ski town in uh Colorado um, probably similar in size to Bandera and I had walked into the local library and there was um, a bunch of well given the population of the town there, there was a, a good amount of uh, middle schoolers teenagers there and what they kind of had designated as the, the youth section because they had a bunch of computers and they were all on the computers so I walked up to them and asked them you know what they were doing and they were trying to take online courses and they had to go to the library to use the library computers to get access to those online summer courses so it's very very similar situation and there's a very important connection between access to these services and education and Dylan and I have had a lot of conversations around around how energy and, and, and social equity intersect, uh, and this is another great example of that.
0: So Bill, with so much changing and evolving in the energy industry and with only so much money to go around, how do you prioritize bringing in something new while balancing reliability and ensuring your members don't feel ignored or left out?
2: That's a good question. Part of the, our whole approach has been, since we are member-owned and member-focused is to make sure no one is left behind, you know, that there is a balance that has to be achieved. And we certainly there's a limitation of resources and there's a limitation of of what you can do. So it's really important to prioritize what's the most important aspect that you can do. What will be the most impactful thing you can do as a cooperative, electric cooperative for your membership? The members will tell you that, Um, you know, What surprised me when we got here, when I got here, was that I had no idea that access to the internet was such a critical issue. And, you know, I came in here thinking, oh, well, they want low rates, and they want better reliability, and they want, you know, the the things that I think most electric utilities think in terms of, you know, they want to. And so what I had to do is, is retool the way I thought about An electric co-op what is our what is our goal as an electric co-op yes we want to provide cost-effective electricity that as reliable electricity at at very competitive rates but it's more than that it's making sure that our membership and our communities grow and that they're we're providing them the services that they want you know say they are the owners of the company and so what you have to do is you have to look at it is well, if the owner of the company wants us to provide high-speed Internet, well, then that's what we're going to do. Um, and I'll be the first to say, well, I'm not sure I know how to do that, but I have to go out and find people who can do that. <laughs> so, you know, I think that the real issue about balancing and prioritizing, again, I think that's why I love the business model of an electric co-op so much is because the owners of the company are the people you serve and they will give you the direction that you need to go and the priority to go. I, I think this the secondary part of that is you have to raise awareness and educate your members and say, okay, I can provide it, but it's gonna take this long, or it's gonna cost this much. Are you willing to do it understanding those uh, conditions? And you know, so there has to be this dialogue this is our priorities this match kind of where you think the priority needs to be yes or no Uh, do you want low rates or do you want high access to internet you know these are very important questions and the the key is to have the dialogue with the members and that's they will help you establish that priority because it is a balance and again the key for us and that's reason that i i keep preaching to other utilities and co-ops of course included is you know Distributed energy and solar benefits everybody, okay. We saved over two hundred thousand dollars in power costs because we had solar uh, You know it reduced our losses by two percent because of solar because you're you know you 're generating energy where the load is um, you know i I heard I was up at a utility conference in North Carolina, and this was a, a big investor owned utilities. And of course, they're up there, and they were all kind of bad mouthing solar, and because it's creating issues on their grids and stuff. I said, well, you know, if if you are the utility people, it's up to you to understand how you can harness that that energy to make your grid more efficient. And you know, it's not just a just say no kind of approach. You've got to learn this is not going to go away. If anything, it's going to become more prevalent likewise with storage i mean energy storage i think right now is probably going to be a, a disruptor for most electric utilities well wouldn't you think now's the time to get involved and 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 educate yourself on on how you can utilize these technologies to to make a better grid i would think so so i think that you know getting back to your question to really as far as the balance of the this is to really balance the priorities is really Stay, stay connected with your members uh and 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 make sure that you're following their desires because at the end of the day they they're the ones that own you so
0: you mentioned you know why not educate yourself now what are some of the a- good what are some good avenues for for educating yourself what if that's what your members are asking
2: well i think you know what's interesting is since we are solar we're, we're providing solar Certainly we attend uh, you know conferences like you know solar power International like the solar and storage fest you all had in in San Antonio. I noticed there were a few utilities there, but why weren't there more utilities? I mean those would be those would be the perfect venues I would think that utilities should be attending and having discussions about learning about who who's out there, who's doing what you know they they just had the Solar Power International uh, Conference out in Salt Lake, you know, I guess last week or this week. And, you know, those are, those are the types of venues that I think utilities should be engaging with so that they can learn and start understanding the technology. You first have to understand the technology before you can figure out how to include it and how to take advantage of it for the benefit of your, your customers. And so I think that piece is missing, but I think those, that's where they, they there needs to be more attention placed.
1: Bill, you, you mentioned Solar Storage Fest, and you know, you've know you talked a, a lot about the the benefits of providing solar to your members. So I wanted to ask a question more specifically around how you're doing that. I believe you guys are using a, a software uh, called a- ApolloWare, which is allowing you to monitor solar can you talk a little bit pretty specifically about Apollo where what it, exactly it does and kind of how how that project came came to life
2: sure that's a great question um, so so as we started to uh, deploy uh, our, our solar our rooftop solar and ground mount solar with our members what we quickly realized is there was a lack of 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 connection between what's going on at the solar panel, what's going on at the inverter, uh, basically connecting to what's going on in the electric system. In fact, it, even though they were connected electrically, there was no information being transferred back to the utility to say, oh, by the way, uh, you know, it's a sunny day, I'm generating, and this is what my load is, and you know, here's my power factor. That piece was not there. Most of the solar Design, most of people who do solar and inverters, they basically have you know, little apps and stuff so you can monitor what's going on at the panel or monitor what's going on at the inverter, but that doesn't give you an indication of what's going on and at the grid. And more importantly, what the price is at the grid. Uh, you know, here in Texas, uh, we have ERCOT, and ERCOT, we have retail choice, and you have uh, prices that change at the wholesale level every 15 minutes. Well, to truly realize and recognize the value of the generation by solar, of course, which is generating during uh, those summer months, you know, we need to capture what that value is of that generation at the distribution level uh, so that, you know, we can send the right incentives. There was nothing out there that allowed us to do that. So we took it upon ourselves to build a a software, uh, what I'll say, a cloud-based software solution Uh, that allows us to basically, uh, I would call it a distribution or a distributed energy resource management system, like a DERM system. And basically it provides real-time data back to the utility uh, as far as what's going on at the solar panel, what's going on at the inverter, and what's going on at at sub-metered accounts, whether it's HVAC, pool pump, water heater. Now the important aspect to this is it's all cloud-based. We use uh, Amazon Web Services as the as the host basically they're the they handle all the data security and stuff like that but it also allows that customer an independent and transparent view into what their stuff is doing in a real time environment and that was missing and so you know what we found is a lot of utilities are really interested in it uh, you know and at the the solar and storage fest. Uh, You know, I talked about the fact that, you know, what surprises, now we've been operating it for three years and we found cases where solar panels uh, weren't designed properly, their their performance was degraded because it wasn't designed correctly, where it's clipping the wave, uh, we've we've been able to determine where uh, inverters are starting to fail uh, or components are starting to fail because of the waveforms that we see. Uh, and this is information that is very valuable because you can communicate it back to your customer and say, by the way, you know your solar panel is not is not performing like you think it is. Uh, and so these are, again, these are this is a real powerful tool, um, and and we're real excited about it. We have a lot of utilities uh, that we're working with right now uh and to expand it but it's it's been operating three years and we're continuing to expand it we're on apollo air version three now uh and it it just becomes a little bit you know the more data you get and the more experience you get the more value you can glean from data you know and i think that looking forward i think that having customers having access to their data is going to be a value that they're going to pay for and so I'm banking that that may be another product or service that down the road, you know, my members will not only feel as valuable, they'll be able to, they'll want to pay me for it. So, but yeah, Apollo Air was, it's been, it came out of a, a situation where there really wasn't any good thing on the market. So we went ahead and built it um, ourselves. And uh, like I said, we're we're continuing to do the development work. We have a lot of other utilities also helping us with that.
1: It's a great use case of innovation solving to me i mean what sounds like really two big challenges one um you know a lot of utilities shy away from solar because they just don't know what it's doing where it is how it's producing solved that challenge with Apolloware, and then the second one giving the customer like you mentioned the transparent information they know what where their electricity is coming from Um, it's right on, it's on their house, but more importantly, they understand the pricing behind it. They, they, uh, they get a look behind the curtain when it comes to how they're interacting with electricity, which has always been a very big issue with utilities. Um, So to me, you know, that, that's what really stands out about this. Well,
2: and I think that the, the, the end game for us, and I mean, as, as a guy who's been in the utility industry, my whole career the, the end game for us has always been is, what is the value of that one kilowatt hour at a given time, at a spatially given point on the distribution grid? You know, before we had technologies, we, did, we developed this thing called electric rates. Well, what is electric rate? Well, electric rate is basically, I'll just aggregate everybody <laughs> and, and charge them all the same. And it doesn't matter what time of day it is or what season it is, I'm gonna charge them all the same. Well, we all know that that's not how electricity works, uh, especially here in Texas. Electricity is a, is a, is a competitive, uh, fungible uh, marketplace, uh, just like stocks. It's volatile. The prices we've had this summer of $9,000 a megawatt hour. Here's the problem. Mm-hmm. When the prices were $9,000 a megawatt hour, uh, we didn't have the mechanisms to, to basically compensate people who are generating that at the distribution grid because we don't have rates that would allow us to do that. So this is a technology I think it's going to be a platform for at least allowing utilities to really put a, a cost-based value on a kilowatt hour uh, based on a specific 15-minute interval and based on a location where no matter where it is in the grid. And I think that is a substantial uh, achievement if we can get there.
0: Well, Bill, thank you very much for for expounding upon that, and thank you for being on to talk to us about uh, about your business model, your community model, and your innovation model. Uh, we learned a lot. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much, Dylan. Thank you, Aaron.
0: And Aaron, thanks for uh, having a having a rousing discussion about this innovation stuff. I think I feel like every week we're kind of learning more about well, the steps that, uh, the steps actually needed to be undertaken to innovate
1: right you know there's just so much talk in the industry about digital transformation you know business model changes and so innovation really is at the heart of that hence why we've been having so many discussions but I think the important thing is to continuously have uh, diverse discussions on how to to innovate and so uh, always a pleasure Dylan to, to learn something new um, really encouraged uh, by the the conversation we had with Bill a Day. They're definitely doing some interesting things that are different than some of the other folks we've talked to. So, um, thanks, thanks again.
0: So uh, you can find our research and media at etsinsights.com. You can find us on social media at dylockwood, at aaronhardick, at Z prime underscore research. There's still time to register for Start at ETS 2019 in San Antonio on October 22nd and 23rd, just head to start19.co for more information. That's start19.co. My name is Dylan and we'll see you all next time.